Whoa there, horsey! Just before we get into the podcast, I want to let you know about a free event that we're running full of SMH and behaviour strategies that you can use to support the kids that you work with. It'll run on Tuesday the 11th of June 2024 at 7pm London time. We're going to take a real world behaviour issue submitted by a member of our community, pull it apart and offer solutions and strategies. And this month we're focusing on strategies for supporting pupils who become overwhelmed and go into freeze in the classroom rather than fight or flight. Our aim is for you to Walk away with lots of actionable ideas and insights that you can use straight away in your school. Plus, it's completely free. We're limited to 300 spaces, though, so grab yours now before they're all gone. I'll put a direct link to the registration page in the episode description. All you've got to do is tap on this episode in your podcast app. You'll see a link to the webinar. Follow that link, enter your details, and boom, you're done. Can't wait to see you there. You know, we're adults. We're mature. We're talking about kids. I don't think the executive function brain is mature until you're 28. If you've got somebody with AD, the general rule is take 25% off the age. So, you know, if you've got a 10-year-old, you're dealing with the executive function of a seven and a half-year-old, right? So if you're dealing, let's say, a 13-year-old, it's like a 10-year-old, right? We've got to be really, 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 really patient. Welcome to the School Behaviour Secrets Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Corrigan. My co-host is Emma Shackleton, and we're obsessed with helping teachers, school leaders, parents, and of course, students when classroom behaviour gets in the way of success. We're going to share the tried and tested secrets to classroom management, behavioural special needs, whole school strategy, and more, all with the aim of helping your students reach their true potential. Plus, we'll be letting you eavesdrop drop on our conversations with thought leaders from around the world so you'll get to hear the latest evidence-based strategies before anyone else. This is the School Behaviour Secrets Podcast. Hi there, my name's Simon Corrigan and I'm excited to welcome you to another episode of School Behaviour Secrets where defying all common sense or logic, our listener numbers are actually growing. And if you're a fan of niche school behaviour related information, good for you. You've found your people. Hosting the podcast with me today is the amazing Emma Shackleton. Hi, Emma. Hi, Simon. Emma, to start the podcast this week, I'd like to ask you a quick question. Have you ever started something that you never finished but really wished you had? Uh, I can see where this is going. And yes, I started a jewellery making night school class last term and quit after two weeks, meaning that I ended up with a lovely, shiny rectangle of metal and not the beautiful earrings I was hoping for when I started the class. <laughs> and I'm guessing that you've asked me this question because this is part two of your interview with Jeff Copper on the subject of ADHD. That's right. Last week, I started interviewing Jeff from Dig Coaching about why looking at ADHD as an executive functioning disorder can be a really powerful mindset shift. And he shared so much good information rather than edit lots of it out and make one standard length episode, we decided to run the interview across two podcast episodes so we didn't have to leave anything out. So if you're joining us for the first time today or you didn't catch last week's episode, it may be worth going back and listening to last week's podcast first. I can't wait to hear the rest of this interview, but before we press play, I've got a small favour to ask. If you're finding the content of this podcast useful, please don't keep it to yourself. Spread the love by opening up your podcast app now and sharing this episode with a couple of colleagues that would also find it useful. It's a really quick and easy way of helping your friends and having a bigger impact in the world. 
And now here's part two of Simon's interview with Jeff. Now, if you've got a teenager, right, and they're on a technology that has access, as, and forgive me for my, I don't mean this to be sexist or vulgar, but I just need an example. It's got a 14-year-old male that's in heat, right? <laughs> and he's getting a text from a female. And I don't care how easy you make the stuff. From a self-regulation perspective, there's a lot of reward in that. It's hard to overcome that. But, but that's why this technology is so bad is because we have some of those tools that are tempting these people. So when you're working with people with ADHD, my goal is, number one, you got to remove the temptations because they're very dopamine driven. So something like that is just difficult. But it's a balance of re- removing some of the fun temptations, but you got to make the thinking easy because if you don't, they're going to escape. So it's a balancing act. You just don't say abstain from social media or YouTube or whatever that is. You don't just abstain from it. You got to do the, there's a balance to this. And you know, I see in classrooms often kids are given iPads and told yes. to do a piece of work on an iPad. Well, actually, when you think about it, if you're being asked to do some work, which you might find difficult and you don't have like the physical props necessarily that you need around you to support you with that thinking. But on that iPad, there's a host of other interesting dopamine rich activities for you to select from. Well, what are you going to do? Are you going to stick with the hard thing that's putting you in pain? Or are you going to click on that nice rewarding thing over there that's going to give me instant feedback? It's like crack cocaine. It's just sitting there like, why wouldn't you take it? Like if you Google marshmallow test, there was a the thing in Cal Berkeley that they did. Have a kid in a room, they put a marshmallow in front of them. The teacher says, listen, if you don't touch that, if you don't eat it, I'll come back. I'll give you two, right? And you, they videotape it. And you see these kids licking it and playing with it, but they all eat the marshmallow. That's all self-regulation. It's the temptation. So as long as those temptations are there, for the ADD crowd, this is punitive because most of those temptations, they've cracked the code. If you just go watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix, it's an incredible documentary. Basically, the people on social media and game stuff, they've cracked the code and they know exactly what to do. Crack the primitive brain because the ADHD brain is a very reward-driven brain. The high correlation between it and addictive behavior. And if you put that in front of them, it's going to be difficult. So these technologies that we're giving them are wrought with instant gratification. Whereas like in days of old, like, you know, in the old days, I used to read a newspaper. It didn't have a hyperlink, right? I read a book and I didn't have a hyperlink. Now you go online and there's just page after page of temptation after temptation. And again, these things are challenging, yet we keep saying, we got to get our kids to adapt to these new technologies. Well, I understand that they got to live in it, but you're testing their primitive side of wanting to feel good and trying to get them to learn and just saying you need to try harder is just, it's like use a weakness to overcome a weakness. It makes no sense. So we go back to executive functioning. And if you begin to understand them individually and collectively, you can make all kinds of interesting things like emotional regulation is when you feel threatened, right? Remember, it's a reflex. You have reflexively react. When you feel threatened with your life, you go to fight, flight, or freeze. So it's a primitive thing that's it's important. It's there. Well, what's interesting is self-awareness means you've got to confront yourself. You've got to call yourself out. That's threatening. People with ADHD resist it. So you've got somebody with ADHD and you're going to them in earnest. I come in peace. But for them, it feels like criticism and they fight back. So now we can begin to understand the impairment here is even when you're trying to help them, it's like you got to help treat them with kid gloves, because if you're going there to help and you're not doing the right way, the challenge of regulating their emotion goes off the charts. And when they resist, they resist harder. It's like going in and trying to talk somebody to change religion or change a politics. The more you talk, the less they listen to you. They kind of fight back. I'm not saying it's an easy dynamic, but it's if you don't know it, your reflexive reaction is probably the worst thing for you to do if you know what I'm saying, because you're pushing them away. We also sit there and say, you know, 
Cued recall is the ability to remember things. So like I talk about, if you're going to go on a trip somewhere and you got a pat, you, a neurotypical might visualize the trip and they walk their way through the trip. That's visual imagery. And, oh my God, I'm getting off the airplane. It's going to be cold. I got to go get a jacket. That's a cued thing. You saw that it's cueing your memory to go get a jacket as opposed to free recall where you just pull it out of thin air. So what they do is they go through the simulation of it in their mind to cue and pack. Well, a person with ADHD, they get, oh my God, it's cold. They go get their jacket and they come back and evaporated. <laughs> they don't know where they are in the movie. So they got to start back at the beginning, right? Listen, anything that's tedious and boring is physically uncomfortable. For, all they do is escape. And you can see how this little act is difficult. But what I'm going to is pulling that information from their mind is cued recall. So you'll often see a kid with ADHD with a lot of visual things out because if it's not out, they're not going to remember it. So we'll say, put it all away. Well, that's like out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> but you have other people with ADHD where when they have all that stuff out, that represents a to-do. And there's, that's a burden from them. They feel pressure and they can't think. For them, they've got to put everything completely away. Some of them will actually say, I'm OCD. Well, no, you're not OCD. O is an obsessive thought. It's irrational. Clearing everything away so that you don't have any visual items that are creating stress for you so that you can focus that's just working memory because of cluttering your mind. So what I just sat there and described is you've got two people with a working memory challenge and how they deal with it is completely different. There's no one tip, trick, or strategy. It really comes down to observation of that person and sitting there and say, there's a legitimate reason why they're doing that. What is that? Because it's not until you say it's legitimate because instinctively they're doing it for a reason. Now, one of the problems is, of course, is they leave it all out. And when they have everything out that they've got to remember in a day, it's all invisible. Like they become anesthetized. And, you know, that's where I work with people to help them understand, you know, you're driving down the road too far on one side, you're off the road too far on the other side. But the point really is because at some point in time, I'm sure you're going to ask me, so what do these teachers do? What, what, you know, where do they go? And it's really understanding executive functioning and learning to observe behavior, not for what's going wrong, but for the legitimate reason why they're doing what they're doing, because you're observing visible behavior. If you wonder cognitively the legitimate reason why they're doing it, you're better apt to get to what the root cause is because most people don't think of instinct. Water runs downhill because it's the path of least resistance. People's behavior is the path of least resistance. They do things almost for a reason all the time. And if you understand the cognitive behavior and you're asking, I wonder why, a lot of times you'll actually be able to real what the root cause is and be able to do something with it. Yeah. So this to me sounds, it's not tip ticks and strategies. What this is, is a different way of thinking. It's almost like uh, like a scientific process. You're observing behavior. You're thinking about the executive functions and you're trying to track back in your mind, potentially here, which of these executive functions might be leading to this behavior. And then I'm guessing you experiment and you try different things yep. and see what works and see what doesn't. Yep. Because you can't see in someone's mind. You can only make assumptions. So this might be iterative. It might be trying something out. Some things might work. Some things might not. We keep what works, throw away what doesn't, try something new. Am I understanding the approach? It is. I'll be honest. For the teachers that are there, this is a real challenge because you got a lot of stuff that's going on in a classroom and you got all kinds of different, I mean, we're just talking about ADHD. Let's forget all the other issues that you got to deal with. So <laughs> I don't want to minimize this being kind of complex, but- The kind of people that listen to this podcast are interested in supporting those individuals. So this is gold if you're listening to this and you, you remember this podcast community. I, I think this is absolute gold. There's different kinds of thinking. There's methodical thinking, which is like solving an algebra problem for X. If you understand math and the order of operations, you can get the right answer every, every single time. It's just applying a set of rules. That's like the holy grail. Then you have like trial and error thinking. That's like Sudoku or a crossword puzzle. 
Then you have what I call insightful thinking. That's where you have to pay attention to it completely different in order to get it. Insightful thinking requires trial and error. And insightful thinking is like out of the box insights, aha, the I get it, that type of stuff. And it's trial and error, and you, you, you can't control when those aha. I mean, they happen coming out of the shower when you're driving down. Any, anywhere where you don't have something to write it down, that's when an aha is going to show up. <laughs> and so if you begin to understand the different thinking processes and the people, so you've got a kid that's there and they're running a trial and error scenario. So we talked at the beginning about organization. How am I going to do this? Well, when they're running a trial and error, if they were to sit down and write down all the options and all the pros and cons, it's just not going to happen because it's too tedious. It's too boring. They're going to escape it. So they're doing it inside their mind and they just want to escape that. So what do you do? Well, if it's easier for them, if you gauge them in a conversation, all right, two things are happening. Number one, they're talking out loud. So it's making it easier for them to think. And you're asking them questions to help cue their recall of different types of things. And so what happens is, is because you're making thinking easier and you're engaged with them, right? They pay attention to it a little bit longer. Now, one kid might be like that. And a lot of times you're like, you know, if you're dealing with a six-year-old or a 14-year-old, because they'll get off on a tangent. But if you understand what you're doing and you willfully can ask them questions to help them move along, that can be, be very helpful for that person. And then mirror back to them. You know, I notice you do a lot of thinking out loud. You, have you noticed is that whenever we're talking is that you always get an aha on your own. What you're doing is you're helping them and then you're modeling it to them of helping them come to realization of that's what works. 14-year-olds not very good at self-observation and they don't want to do it that way. But if they hear that, hey, when you talk out loud, you solve problems for two or three years, at some point in time, it starts to sink in and you help them understand what they need to do and advocate for themselves. So you've got those types of scenarios or now you've got other people that there's an issue that they've got relationship-wise with somebody else. And they're trying to figure out how to solve it. It's the same trial and error thinking process because they're running a gazillion things in their head. But the problem is, is they keep forgetting. They keep starting. It's like Groundhog Day. They keep going over and over and over and over and over. And to sit down and deal with that person and say, listen, let's talk out loud about this and realize is that, hey, help them kind of land the plane. Because if they're dealing with a trial and error thing with somebody that there's some emotion you're going to have a hard time letting it go because it's emotional. And what will end up happening is some of them will begin to ruminate and then they'll start to go to shame and blame. And this is an emotional self-regulation, but it's impaired thinking to solve that problem that's going to send them down a rabbit hole. So a lot of times you like to pull them out and say, hey, you know, as a teacher, this is kind of challenging in the middle of the day, but at least we understand what the problem is. And hopefully people can start to use some creativity on how they manage some of that in different situations. But I've just, again, used executive functioning, the thinking process into your head and emotions. And now we begin to understand what's going on emotionally with some of the social dynamics that are going on is that they're having a hard time thinking inside their head and they're doing it by themselves. And sometimes, you know, for the right kid and you're making the right observations, you can make an intervention and sit down and get them to talk about them, get them to calm down, to downregulate for them to think. So a lot there. I'd just like to take a pause for a moment and say that if you're finding this podcast useful, then you're going to love what we've got waiting for you in our Inner Circle program. The Inner Circle is your one-stop shop for all things behavior. It's a comprehensive platform filled with videos, resources, and behavior inspiration to get you unstuck with classroom behavior. We've got training resources on de-escalation, supporting kids with anxiety, support strategies for conditions like autism, ADHD, and PD 
practical ways of helping pupils deal with strong emotions, assertive behaviour management techniques for managing the whole class, setting out your classroom environment for success, resetting behaviour with tricky classes and more. Our online videos walk you through practical solutions step by step. Just like Netflix, you can turn an Inner Circle subscription on or off whenever you need to with no minimum contract. Plus, you can now get your first seven days of Inner Circle for just one pound. Get the behavior answers you've been looking for today with Inner Circle. Visit beaconschoolsupport.co.uk and click on the Inner Circle picture near the top of the homepage for more information. In the UK at the moment, there's a lot of work going on on like metacognition and helping children understand for themselves how they think and understand their own kind of emotions. People listening to this will be teaching kids from about the age of four up to the age of 18, but talking to them about executive functions and explaining that, you know, we'll have different strengths and weaknesses and helping them identify and structure their work in the way you've talked. I've just wondered that kind of like having those conversations about self-awareness and where those strengths and weaknesses are and the strategies that are working for them and not working for them. How valuable is that? Or are they too young? You know, we're adults. We're mature. We're talking about kids. <laughs> I don't think the executive function brain is mature till you're 28. If you've got somebody with ADD, the general rule is take 25% off the age. So, you know, if you've got a 10-year-old, you're dealing with the executive function of a seven and a half-year-old, right? So if you're dealing, let's say a 13-year-old, it's like a 10-year-old, right? By the way, what's a strength? Precisely. And I want you to be specific. What exactly is a strength? Something you experience more success with. How do I know what my strength is? All right. It's something that I experience success easily okay. or it feels easy. So it's easy to get an outcome compared to the people that I observe around me. Okay. There's an element of ease and there's an element of accomplishment. So this is the world according to Jeff's experience. So don't, I, I was just kind of playing with you because I think we get all wrapped up in our head with this really cool vernacular about strengths and weaknesses. And I don't think 11 year old has any clue. I know adults that have, don't have a clue what that is. They, I want to play to my strengths. Well, what, uh, I don't know. What I do is, well, what's easy? What's hard about this task? Great. What would be easy? Like you start asking kids, well, what's easy, right? They got something that they can hang their hat on at that age. I'm not so sure because going back to strengths. Is, is it a talent? Is it a passion? Is it modality? Is it skills? Is it not? Again, I don't really know what we're, I mean, is the, we, we use that as alphabet suit. There's no precise definition. We, again, we go back to, you got to break it down in language that they can understand and, and get there. And the other thing too is Rick Green's got a quote on self-awareness. As many ADers report self-observation, which they find surprising because they are poor self-observation. <laughs> so we want these people to become self-aware of executive functioning, and you have to understand is that it's impaired and you know they're, they're young. So I like the idea of over time helping them and helping them again to manage their thoughts. And there's something to it a little bit, we, but we've got to be really, 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 really patient. I know I did an interview with Autumn Zatani in 2014. She was in charge of all the curriculum at Sesame Street. And in season 43, they spent the whole season working on self-regulation. And part of that was emotional self-regulation. So what they did is they had the Muppets on TV or YouTube app or whatever. And they would talk about emotions and they help because kids are emotionally illiterate. So they help them understand and name different emotions and feel them in their body. And the Muppets would go, oh, my God, I feel angry. And I, and I feel it's in my back of my neck. And they would, they would model that. And they'd say, OK, I got to belly breathe and count one, two, three. And so they began to do that. They had preschoolers that had watched Sesame Street do the marshmallow test, and they still had self-regulation problems, but they went like 30 seconds longer than the average kid. So it's useful, but I think that we have to be realistic on what we're dealing with. And so building that into the system, but I think we got to start at really simple levels 
and well, what's coming easy to you. And that's not so much in my mind as strength or weakness at per se. It's actually listening to your instincts tell you what to do. Like, well, it's, well, it's easy for me to talk. Oh, really? You need to write the paper. How you do that? Well, you might dictate. Like, why don't you just tell me the paper right now and we could transcribe it? We have technology to do that. So to answer your question, I think it's intellectually a great idea. I think practically you got to break it down in a language that a kid can understand and realize that their brains are probably 30% mature and meet them where they are. Jeff, I could talk about this all day long. We're only scratching the surface here. And we've covered an awful lot already. So if you're a teacher or a parent, actually, listening to this podcast, out of all the things we've talked about, if you want to help a child in your class or your own child, what's really the first step to take to help them with integration in class, achieving their potential? What's the very first step? It's hard because everybody wants the easy answer. Give me the real answer. Give me the hard answer. Personally, I think that Dr. Barkley nailed it. His model explains everything a couple of times over. And I've only scratched the surface. If you study that model, and that's just not for ADHD, it's applicable for everybody, just at different places on the continuum. If you do that, and then you have to learn basic observation skills. I forget the name of the woman that went over, like she was in the jungle for 18 months, just watching monkeys, trying to watch their behavior. You have to understand is that everybody's behavior will migrate to the path of least resistance. And if you can begin to understand cognitive behavior and then observe the visible behavior, you can begin to see stuff that's there. Now, again, I I alluded, I've got this thing I'm coming out with, and I have this thing called attention scope because we have attention and it's like a telescope or a microscope. I'm bringing tangibility to help people. I read the definition of what working memory is, but when I put people in a situation where I give them the six words, they go, oh, that's what that is, right? Okay. So- I'm trying to do some of that stuff so we can make, kind of make it tangible. But if you begin to understand that and you sit there and say, each kid's different, I got to learn to problem solve and identify what the root cause is each kid. I think the long term, it's going to take a little bit of effort to learn that and learn the observation skills. But I think that you'll find that the outcome's a lot better as opposed to give me just the equation to apply right now. And there's a lot more people subscribing to ADHD as an executive functioning model. Thomas Brown's got one. I like Dr. Barkley's a little bit better because his is a little bit more tangible. But I mean, studying that stuff and learning, observing the behavior, begin to understand the cognitive behavior that's driving that. And again, I go back to a lot of focus issues is a thinking problem. If you don't make thinking easier, nothing's going to work long term. Jeff, how can our listeners find out more about your resources? If you go to digcoaching.com, that's my website. From there, it's got links to my blogs. Also, uh, attentiontalkradio.com, attentiontalkvideo.com. I will warn you, the uh, it's a little bit overwhelming. I've been doing my podcast for like 12 years. I think there's like 600 episodes. Wow. My video channel is a little bit different. Hats off to uh, Jessica McCabe at uh, How to ADD and uh, Rick Green at uh, Rick Wants to Know. They are both kind of TV people. They have the number one and the number two ADHD podcast in the world. I'm thrilled to say I've been number three for five years. They do a great job of making ADHD fun and kind of getting people in the door. When you watch my stuff, it's going to be a little bit more insightful. Like, for example, people will say, I can't finish a project. And I'll talk about how there's people with ADHD that have a learning addiction. They like to learn, 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 learn. And when they get into a project, they do it till they learn it and then they're done. So. Like I had a guy who was trying to finish off his bathroom one time and I said, I don't think 
the project was to learn what it's like to be a carpenter, not to finish the bathroom. And he's like, what? <laughs> and we started talking about it. We had 20 projects. And when the learning ended, it ended. And you go, well, oh, now you know why you do it from a self-regulation. You can now say, am I going to do this or not? Knowing you're not going to finish it. That sounds, everybody's going like, well, he's got to finish it. Well, no, that's the way it is. So I do a lot more of that type of stuff to kind of help people understand, or I'll, I'll talk to people about escaping, but that's what that channel's about. But again, to access all that, digcoaching.com is the best place. And just before we finish, we ask this of all our guests, who's the key figure that's influenced you or what's the key book that you've read that's had the biggest impact to the way you look at ADHD and the way that you look at the world? So because of my dyslexia, I don't read anything unless it's a textbook because I have to be efficient. But without a doubt, the greatest moment in my life was when I reached out to Dr. Russell Barkley. And I did my first interview with him March the 11th, I think, I think 2011 on emotional self-regulation. And in that moment, it was amazing to me. It was transformational. Number one, you know, most researchers, it's just about getting published. He actually, and he wasn't really open to the coaching paradigm at that particular time, but I was honored that he did it. And his job was to get the information to the masses on the street. And in that interview, it, I remember it took me like eight hours to kind of get ready for it so I could synthesize what he did. And in the subsequent interviews that I've done with him, they were amazing. But what was interesting, it wasn't until I transcribed them and went back and studied them that I realized there was more brilliance in them than I ever imagined. And so he individually, one, two, he had the influence because he came onto my podcast. I don't think he'd ever been on a coach's podcast before. And, and I've been a, a conduit to help him to get to other people to kind of do that stuff. And so he's had a huge influence on me and my coaching and really the centerpiece of anything I do, because again, I think his model for the first time, we have an explanation and understanding of executive functioning that we can more precisely identify root cause and problem solve for it. Jeff, I've really enjoyed this. Very excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for the opportunity. Wasn't that interesting? When you hear Jeff speak, it really does change the way that you think about ADHD and how to arrive at solutions to help kids with ADHD thrive in school. And as before, if you want to find out more about Jeff and his online resources, I put links to his website in the episode description. By the way, if you work with kids with challenging behaviour and you're not sure why they're acting that way, we've got a download that can help. It's called the SEN Handbook and it's designed to help you to link behaviours that you've seen in the classroom with possible causes such as autism and ADHD. The idea here isn't for teachers to make a diagnosis because we're not qualified to do that. But if we can link behaviours to possible causes quickly, it means we can get the right help and early intervention strategies in place. The handbook is a completely free download. All you need to do is go over to our website, beaconschoolsupport.co.uk, click on the free resources tab near the top, and look for the SEN handbook near the top of the page. And we'll also put a direct link in the episode description. Before we go, if you've enjoyed today's episode, remember to open your podcast app now and hit the subscribe button or follow as it's called now in Apple Podcasts. And your app will download each and every new episode as it's released so you never miss a thing. And to celebrate, well, why not live the rest of the day like a squirrel? Because they're bold, they're brash, and they know what they want out of life, so you better not get in their way. If a squirrel were Prime Minister, this land would already be covered in high-speed rail links, nut production would be at an all-time high, and we'd be constantly at war with surrounding countries because, you know, 
Belgium looked at us funny or France spilt our pint. These furry monsters live life at full throttle and without regrets. Remember, whatever you do, don't mess with squirrels. They'll f*** you up. (laughs) Calm down, Simon. That's all we've got time for today. So we hope you have a great week and we look forward to seeing you next week on School Behaviour Secrets. Bye for now. Take care. Oh, 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 oh,